Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. This week on TDR, Ted Cruz apologizes, Dave Ramsey Christian lessons, and Novak Djokovic makes a mess down under. Did cable TV's biggest star correct the record to distinguish political protests from terrorism? Or did he engage in a sad display of who really has the political power in the Republican Party? Did a globally renowned finance expert with Christian connections just prove that good capitalism doesn't make for good Christianity? Or did he simply point out market forces that are morally neutral? Did a failure of due process allow a star athlete to skirt the laws of a foreign nation? Or did we witness another example of rules not applying to the rich and famous? This and more this week on TDR. So what's new, Jesus? Everybody's got COVID. Everyone has COVID. Uh, Literally everyone. And it's funny because I literally am looking at headlines as Fauci says, Omicron will infect almost everybody. Quote. That's a quote. Literally a quote. And it happens to be true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have we, There's I, been some great memes, though. Have, have you seen all, no. all the memes about Omicron? <laughs> no. First of all, it's the most mispronounced uh, variant I've ever heard. What, what um, is the right pronunciation? I'm sure I've said it wrong It's every Omicron. Time. Omicron. There's is not it? Omni. But I'm saying Omicron is what even I was watching the Senate hearing, and they were all saying Omicron. It's Omicron. It Omicron. doesn't have an N. Oh, yeah. is, is this one of those, uh, what, what do they call it, the, the Nelson Mandela effect? Where you oh. think is that, you know what I'm talking about, no. right? What is that? Nelson Mandela? Isn't the Mandela effect, what I think is what it's called, oh, right? Really? This, this, this notion where people believe something is, is, is one thing, even though it's never been that. So people oh, misremembering that's cool. things. That, that, that has a name? I didn't yeah, know that. I, th- I honestly I didn't know called, that. Is it not called the Mandela effect? I know, I've heard of something called a spoonerism. There's like all these kinds of verbal, Here, what is so, it called? So the Mandela effect yeah. is a phenomenon in which a person or a group of people have false or distorted memories, right? So some believe that the Mandela effect is proof of alternate realities, while others blame it on fatality of human memory. Oh, so it's like a so mass everyone, thing where everybody yeah, believes everyone something. Everyone believes something's the case, right. and it was just not the case. Right. Oh, like so-and-so was in such movie. No, it no, wasn't. wasn't. No, it wasn't. Yeah. That would never happen, right? I think that's one. Omnicron is what I hear constantly. And yeah. it, it, by the way, it should be Omnicron. Because it is has like an omni kind of everywhere feel, but it's Omicron, which sounds vaguely Japanese. The other thing I was thinking about was a spoonerism. A spoonerism is where you 
uh, interject the wrong word in a phrase that everyone knows. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, instead of the ship is sinking, you say the sink is shipping. And, like, you you inter interlace them, right? It's like a phrase that maybe people know. I don't know if people know the, the ship is sinking, but, like, right. something that people know, yeah. like a common phrase. But they swap the names. There's a name for that. It's named oh. after a guy named Spooner. Oh, Spoonerism. That. Yep. Yep. It happens. That. The sink is shipping. So I there always, you go. I could always say English is my second language. I'll start using that more and more. <laughs> but is it really your second language? It is. It is mine, it too. It actually is true. It is mine, too. Like, for real. I mean, I don't know how long it was. Right. Or how long it took. I, I learned pretty early on about uh, of English, and I hated it. I heard, I hated learning about it. Right, right, right. Um, you know what I just saw, mm -hmm. by the way? Yeah. Uh, I just saw Spider-Man. Did you watch this? We uh, talk about movies all the time. The new one. Yeah, the new one. Yeah, film. of course. Yeah, I saw it. I didn't, wa I didn't watch it until I came back from vacation. And? I thought it was really, really good. It's very good. It's really, really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much about it that's so good. Now compare that to uh, uh, Eternals. I mean, still haven't seen Eternals. Don't. But then I still want you to watch it just so, just to watch you go it's through the It's coming on uh, Disney Plus uh, coming up. Well, it was, it's it was, so there's like the actual amount of time of a movie took. So let's say it was three hours, two hours. Right. And, uh, the, then there's the perceived... Okay, which is in the in the theater. The perceived Eternals was, I would say, five or six hours. I'm the, not kidding. The name says it all. The name says it all. So it was five or six hours in the theater. Right. I think at home we're talking about maybe up to ten hours. Is how that thing is going to feel. Well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to when it comes on Disney Plus. I'm going to try to watch it. But I'm the worst in terms of uh, of actually sitting there and watching anything. The new Spider-Man, first of all, was the worst kept secret about the Tobey Maguire and Andrew yeah, Garfield. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, everybody knew that. Right. But it was still cool to see it. It was very, very well done. And it, uh, there was so much about it, movie that I like. I think whether it's just good acting or not, but they, it looked like, at least it came across that like these three guys like just really like each other. Yeah. Like, there's just like a genuine like excitement to be part of it, like to be together. Like, there's so much of that. It may be most reflected in Andrew Garfield. Um if you're going to rank order them in terms of your favorite to from most to least favorite Spider-Man. Spider-Man. This, this also a recency bias, of course, like anything else. But this one is really, really good. No, no, no. I'm talking about the the, the actor who played Spider-Man. Oh, the actor? Like if you're going to rank I, I, them. I like, the, I like Tom Holland the most. You like Tom Holland the most? Interesting. Yeah, because okay. he's the one that looked most like a kid. Like he, he displays that genuine, almost like a little naive, a little yeah. bit of that. You know, he's a kid and the, the, his kid moments come, out, come across a lot. Uh, have come across a lot. Come across a lot. Sorry, come across a lot during during the films. Yeah, um, he's got a very youthful thing. He has a very youthful thing. I think part of that that character, and and also because the other ones didn't really have this, but I I really did appreciate always the relationship that that parent parental relationship that um the Iron Man character had right with with Robert Downey Jr. with uh, Tom Holland right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that dynamic of that parental kind of like watch, and he was like kind of you know it was kind of very selfish. The whole yeah, his whole story the baby, arc, the babysitter, the, the John whole, Favreau the character was the story babysitter. arc of, of Robert Downey Jr. and those films are just great. But uh, going for someone that's very very mature who didn't really want to have kids, who I don't know if he ever said that, but it kind of came across that way. Right. And then it, it almost turns them when he meets. Uh, Tom Holland and a Spider-Man. So there's so much of that about that that I really liked about those dynamics. I think the Tobey Maguire character, I mean, in the early movies, though, he was much more, first of all, he's a lot younger, so he could kind of play off that high school kid. And I thought there was a certain I never cared for him. him. Really? <laughs> the reason for that is, like, he was constantly crying. Like, dude, stop crying. Like, everything can make you cry. Like, there was one of the films, I forget which one it was, like, every other scene, like, dude, okay. Tearing up. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> this is rough, but come on, man. It's the emotional male. But Absolutely. The, but the emotion on the sleeve but see, I think that's what I really like. That's about why I like last... Andrew Garfield. 
because he he has like that emotion, but it's raw. It's like it is, it is. Um, and I think they all kind of brought those their characters back into. So it was that's why that was really really well done. Mm-hmm. It's well written, mm-hmm. I would say, because those characteristics came across with each one of them. How they are very very different. And I would say my favorite scene. I think I spoiled at this point. Probably people are never going to watch it. Probably already see it, right? But my favorite scene in that movie. That was like, oh, that's just good writing. Because uh, I just didn't see it coming. But that's maybe just me not not being aware enough. Is um, when they're having that big fight with all of the villains and mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the MJ uh, character, right? She falls from the from the building. Zendaya, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Zendaya, and. Um, Tom Holland that the character tries to catch her and he gets like swept up by uh, the goblin, and it's yeah, like Andrew wrote. Garfield is gets a, like his second chance and because because they hint at the fact that how broken he he was of course. because of that happening yeah. and even to the point at some point earlier in the movie say he doesn't date anyone because have time and and getting that do over I thought was like what great writing for like sure. in, it's for being in a you know action movie about comics etc like that's just good right so uh, that's I, a great way to kind of bring back back in a really nice way i have one comment and then one serious question that i have not actually gotten a very satisfying answer from that relates to this but isn't about this one comment on what you just said i thought that was a very touching scene and a very well acted scene and well written scene the one you just described where he catches her at the last second the other one was it kind of was this random, they're there on top of the structure, and they're just talking to each other. Mm-hmm. It was like this five-minute aside where they're talking about their lives, and sure. it was just this, they didn't have to have it, but it was a really uh, yeah. humanizing kind I, of scene. I you know what yeah, I'm talking yeah, yeah. about? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that, It was that really was well really done. All right, so here's my question, though. Legitimate question, I've never received a satisfactory answer, so I'd love your actual answer to this question. Ready? Mm-hmm. Why is it that it seems that we're only able to find or we're able to disproportionately find British actors to play Americans. Okay. Mm, Andrew right. Garfield was born in LA, but he grew up in the UK. So yeah, he has yeah. a you know British accent. Uh oh Tom Holland, British kid. <laughs> Toby McGuire is American. But like There's a lot though. It's there's a lot. Yeah. And they and they put on the accent and all that. It's all good, but what I'm saying is England, the UK, like significantly smaller com- country relative to the US. Mm-hmm. You'd think we'd have so much more supply of really talented people mm-hmm. who could be actors in an action movie. What is that about? That is um that is interesting. I don't know. There there's all of course a dynamic about the amount of content that gets exported out of the UK. There's tons of content that's created there, especially formats, right? And but part of the reason why you see a lot of that is it has to do with international rights. People able to be able to keep their international rights as producers and sell them elsewhere. So I think that also drives the dynamic. I don't know. That's such a really interesting point. Because you do see that quite a bit. Um, My only thought that I can think of yeah, is it's something know. really, really parochial and dumb. Like there's some talent agency that's really important and they're based in the UK and they just line up their people the best. I don't know. Or there's some weird thing where like, oh, they're from the UK, so they're a little bit nice. They're they're like higher quality actors. Even though we're asking them to speak in an American accent, right. we lose that value. But it's just – and uh, by the way, I think Tom Holland is great. I think Andrew Garfield is great. Yeah, I'm just saying, great. Yeah. is there nobody – there's no American actor who can do this? Right, right, Because right. I would think that we would have 20 or 30 or 50 actors for every one we have in England. The thing that I would immediately sort of look at, not knowing that this none of this is, is true or not, is whether there is – like what is that ecosystem in like in England that is different from here, right? To what degree does theater play a bigger role – for a lot more people, a lot of the, more of these actors, are a lot more theater actors than they would be here in the U.S. Obviously, we have a big theater scene here, but it is fairly limited to New York, I would say, right? When you, you, know, you think of the Hollywood scene, a lot of people, it's kind of more West Coast driven. That could be the case where, like, m- a lot more people go through the theater 
chain, whatever, what do you want to call it? The ecosystem? Yeah, the pipeline. The pipeline, thank you. And therefore, you get better actors as a result of having to all kind of go through that. Rather than here in LA, you kind of get people kind of split between those that are going to be theater actors and those that are going to be more mm-hmm. film, television, et cetera. I don't know. That that could be a potential. That's the thing that comes to mind for me in terms of like, what are the dynamics that are happening? Right? I can totally see. Even it. if you think about it like in the context mm-hmm. of sports, right? So you think about soccer, the like in what, where it is in the U.S. versus uh, anywhere in Europe and other places, right? A lot of the quality of soccer play has to do with the ecosystem that they have in Europe built in, where they get kids really, really on early on put them through this pipeline sort of outside of the schooling system, right? Where, where, where these teams already have these, um, 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 you know, youth teams that they're, that they're basically developing, you know, talent from way from really early age, something in which the U.S. is starting to do now. And that's starting to make a difference. Right? I can totally believe that that's the way that... I don't know. That's, that's the, a theory. That's it's a good theory. Be. I can totally believe a talent agent saying things like that. Like, listen, our actors come up through a different pipeline. They have a more depth of character. They're better for roles that require a tremendous amount of dynamism. Your actors come up doing commercials and doing cable and whatever. And that's good for character actors. And it's good for whatever. Like, I could totally see that. I just don't know if it's true. Yeah, I don't know. But that... Sounds like a decent enough theory. 1.5 billion worldwide uh, box office right as of three days ago. It's a great film. Yeah. It's a great film. Yeah. Hmm. I don't think that's like number two, maybe in the world or in the history or number three yeah, next to know. Avatar or whatever it is. So there you go. We agree on something. Let's turn the show off. We'll go that's... home. It's <laughs> awesome. No, I, I I really liked it as well. Is there another movie that's coming that you got like an eye on? Um, you know, I the other one that I saw that I did like not as much, but I did like. I like The Matrix. I like the new the new version. Oh, did you really? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard the complaints that people had about it is that some were like, well, just trying to pack in way too much story into it and some just didn't you make know, sense, right? That's all of them, though. But, but that, yeah, but that's very much to their to, – That's the franchise. That's the, that is the franchise, right? So there's a lot of that already happening. Uh, I would say my favorite part of what I appreciate of The Matrix is um, they really lean into a lot more of the special relationship that Neo and um, – I'm blanking out on the, the, the female character. Trinity. Trinity. And how like it was there. Carrie com- Ann Moss is her name. Thank you. Yeah. And um and I love the fact that they brought her back, right? Mm-hmm. Because especially when you think about Hollywood and and unfortunately, with some exceptions, many female actresses, as they start to age out, they age out really quickly. Oh, very true. Right. And they're so gone. many times they don't get brought back. So the fact that they brought her back, it gave her that kind of role. It is the same actress who's around the same age as... as um, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. I think that's great. And they have like a a real uh, chemistry that then comes across. So I love that. I love that part of, of the fact that, that she plays such a bigger role in the story and then they really play to that. So that was did my you, part of Did it. you notice that they, in the first... So Carrie Ann Moss, beautiful woman. And in the first movie, she was... I mean, they made a big... The, the, the outfits were a big deal. Right, I mean, they had yeah, these like yeah. flowing black capes, and she was like in this. They were cat always woman. in the yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, there was not a single shot of that Matrix movie that I can recall, maybe one or two, that actually showed her. Um, that didn't show like a, a third shot, like a top third or like a torso shot. Everything was very intimate. Now that could have been to drive this sense of intimacy, maybe, but there were no sh- full shots of her. In the new movie, you're saying? In the new one. There was not a single sh- – well, there was maybe one or two. I'm oh, telling you because at one point I, I started going like – yeah. it, it felt like it was um, – Do you think that's by – Like a makeup commercial where it's like all they show is like the face. Right. And 
I don't know. What so do you think there's, that? I think that there could be good and there could be bad reasons for it. Right? Okay. A good reason could be yours, which is creatively this drives more intimacy. Mm-hmm. Whenever we see her, we see her facial expressions. It's all about Neo and her love affair. It could be all good. It could be totally creative. The bad one could be exactly what you said, which is, listen, this woman's older. Right. And she used to be this like amazing athletic kind of kitten. And now she's not. Right. And we don't want that to show up. I mean, it could be that too. Yeah, but there was there no... There, I, I'm telling you, it yeah, struck I didn't, me. I didn't notice that. Um, if you watch it again. Yeah, I'm sure. Now, if I look at it, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye for that. Yeah, it was kind of suspicious. But once again, I, I love the fact that they brought her back. I yeah. thought it was great. And I think it added a lot to the film by having her there. Like, the story would not have been the same with her without her. I didn't have the same... The, I agree with you on that. I, I didn't have the same... Uh, I didn't feel as positively about The Matrix as, as you mm-hmm. did. I watched it. I confess I actually fell asleep at one point. Um, <laughs> it was like late. and Me falling asleep in a movie is not hard to do, though, because I do that a lot. Like, my kids hate me for it when we right, go to the theater, right. and it's like I start snoring. But um, yeah, so I kind of fell asleep. But then, I mean, I, yeah, it was good. I, I still think nothing can top the first one. It was just so it was friggin' so crazy. It was. It was. It fair. like broke through the membrane. So that's fair. Anyway, well, we got some exciting topics, some courage or cringes to talk about this week. Kind of across the board, but some interesting ones. So I thought we could maybe just kind of start that off. Just jump and it, jump where, right in. Where do you think we should we should begin? Uh, let's let's talk about the you know what well, we just had an anniversary on, which was January sixth, right? Okay. So something very very related. So. Courage or cringe, Ted Cruz apologizes to Tucker Carlson for calling the Capitol riot a violent terrorist attack mm-hmm. after the Fox News host criticized him, right? So, um, obviously, that just this just happened uh, last week, right? Well, we had the anniversary of the January 6th uh, attack on the, on the Capitol. And leading up to this anniversary, Senator Ted Cruz had called the, the January 6th insurrection a violent terrorist attack, to which uh, Tucker Carlson called him out immediately, right? By the next day, Ted Cruz was on the show, on the Tucker Carlson show trying to clarify or better yet, you know, backtrack his comments, something to which Carlson was not buying, right? So Cruz opened the interview by saying, well, Tucker, thank you for having me on. Uh, when you aired your episode last night, I sent you a text shortly thereafter and said, listen, I'd like to go on because the way I phrased things yesterday was sloppy and it was frankly dumb. To which Tucker, Tucker immediately cut him off, right? And he said, like, I don't buy that. Say, whoa, 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 I don't buy that. Look, I've known you a long time since you were, since you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. I do not believe that you use that accidentally. I just don't. Right? And kind of went from there, right? So Cruz basically his whole point on clarification was that he was only referring to those that acted in violence against Capitol Police and not the rest of the peaceful protesters. But even on that, Carlson did not agree with him by saying Wait a second. Hold on. What you what you just said doesn't make sense. So if somebody assaults a cop, they should be charged and go to jail. But that person is still not a terrorist, right? Now Carlson has had his own controversy related to January six, um, you know, events as he put out a three part documentary called Patriot Perch, which we talked about before as part yeah, of the Fox uh, originals, right? Mm-hmm. Where he claimed that the January six Capitol siege was inspired by Capitol police and FBI informants. And now the U.S. government is using it as a pretext for um, for hunting all conservatives, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, pretty simple. This one: courage or cringe? Correcting the record to distinguish political protest from terrorism, or a sad display of who really has a political power in the Republican Party? Is, can I ask you a serious question on mm-hmm. this? Because I didn't see the whole clip. Um, do, is this a? So how much of this is semantic in the terms of a, in, in terms of a definition of terrorism? So. 
as an example, classic definition of terrorism is the idea of violence or intimidation to civilians, right? So like, we're going to blow up this school or whatever, unless you do whatever. But not necessarily the idea about uh, civilians versus government actors or something. So what what is the controversy to your mind? Is mm-hmm. it is it that somebody is saying this is good that this happened or no, it's bad that it happened, but we want to make sure we have clarity of what we call things. Otherwise, they lose their meaning. I think there is there is definitely an element of that here. Okay. Right. Because I think there is definitely issue uh, that uh, um, that uh, um Tucker Carlson has in just the use of the word terrorism in this case, right? So there's a definition thing that that we can speak to. I think that's part of it. I think the other part where I just find really amazing and looking at this whole conversation is the immediacy of reaction that Ted Cruz has when he sees himself because he literally was texting right after this. He says it himself that he texted right after the show how aware and paranoid they are. And I would say it's not just Ted Cruz. A lot of other folks that are in the same category of what Tucker Carlson thinks or not about them, mm. about what they said. Mm-hmm. It's like having to go correct the record is like, I just got in trouble something that I said. Maybe that goes against the base or goes against the narrative and the conservative side of the equation. Mm-hmm. And then having to go in and reclarify things. There's absolutely a yeah, point of what terrorism I mean, is defined, right? Yeah. But that's to me is the part that is amazing. Like in what other scenario? What was Tucker's point? Because I didn't see it. What was his point? Tucker's point is like, because you it seemed said, like he was beating him up in the clip that I he saw. He was beating him up. He was not giving him a pass for saying that that Ted Cruz misspoke. He's right. like, if, if there's someone that does not misspeak, it's, it's you. you. It was like, intentional is what he You saying. know what you're saying. Yeah. You're very measured about what you say. And therefore, when you say it's a terrorist attack, you meant a terrorist attack. So don't come in here trying to talk about I misspoke. And then he basically takes him to task, which is like, why are you saying that? And even if... Even though you're not trying to limit the scope of your comments, because that's basically what Ted Cruz can say is like, I'm going to talk about all protesters or people that were there in a political rally or people that were there to express their voice. I'm talking about just those that attack uh, Capitol Police and say, yeah, but even if they attack Capitol Police and even if we agree that those that attack Capitol Police should go to jail, it still it's doesn't still make not ter- terrorism. Right. Yeah. And okay. it kind of goes. So that goes back to your definition point. Right. Yeah. Which is. And frankly, I kind of look, and I know this is not a a official stance by because that depends on how the government views what terrorism. Is. I, didn't, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't see that, but I like to for myself like what is terror? How like yeah. how in the most broad sense do you define terrorism? Yeah. And the, what I found as definition is the unlawful use of threat of violence, uh, the, the lawful use or threat of violence, especially against the state or the public as a political politically motivated means of attack or coercion. Mm-hmm. And when we may not agree that's the right definition, but if you use that as a definition, I think about well, why wouldn't you think of this as being a terrorism attack? Because the violence being done was specifically to create, to intimidate, to change a political outcome. Yeah, right. I like have... you're trying to stop this. Yeah. And, and and part of my question to you, Charlie, when I when mm-hmm. I think about this issue, is like. Why do you think people are so adamant in trying to whitewash this a little bit I can or defend t- I can, it I can or, tell you or saying that it's not what it what it was? You can say, I agree with yeah. the not everyone was doing that. Of course not. There's people that didn't go in there, nor should they be prosecuted, nor should they be arrested. There's people that were there and they're like, oh fuck, this just, this just got out of hand. Yeah, I'd say two. But things. for those that were in there, yeah, you the, know, yeah, I'd say two things. First of all, I have no problem defining defining the capital uh the the January 6th capital attacks as domestic terrorism because they right. happen by Americans to Americans. Yeah, yeah. 
You're right, because that's a different question in terms of international terrorism. Yeah, yeah, I get, Correct. I get that. I do have a question about terrorism in general, because at least historically that definition has had to do with threatening civilians. And yes, of course, these are on some level civilians. They live in the country, but it's sort of like civilians versus a government entity. But that's mm-hmm. really a semantic point that doesn't change the morality of the issue for right. me at all. Right. Now, to answer your question, why I think this happens is because – and it is in a way an equivalence test – or what somebody, if they're left of center, might say a false equivalence, and it may be a false equivalence, mm-hmm. but it's an equivalence test, and it goes something like this. We had a bunch of y- yahoos who were like wearing antler horns show up and break a bunch of windows and act like total idiots and trespass and do a bunch of crap. It got out of hand. One person was killed. It's a tragedy. That is now being equated with Pearl Harbor with the Vietnam War, with things that are so completely greater in magnitude. This is the, this is the thought process, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I have heard of this. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so then, so I think the the why is it uh, what yeah. you said? What you say? Whitewashed or diluted yeah, or whatever yeah. it is? Mm-hmm. I think the why is because if you put too much of the focus on it, you you as a person might feel you're giving credibility to that argument. Now, I actually think you can chew gum and walk at the same time. <laughs> I think you can look at something yeah, and go, yeah. this actually, like full stop, let's just talk about what went down. You, it was just, there's no way to make it right. And in fact, on certain levels, because it was an attack that was perpetrated by citizens on its government, it at least in some cases crossed the line we'd never seen. I think you can say that and be okay with just full stop. At the same time, if somebody has my, wants to ask my opinion, I don't think it has anything to do in magnitude with the Vietnam War or with the bombing of Hiroshima. I mean, I've seen yeah, uh, right. a Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, yeah, yeah. I People mean, it's making like, it like that's a 9-11, right? So and I think, I that, think that's that where you get the, the opposite camps, right? The people that want to make this the worst thing ever and put it in the same kind of category. And then those that are like, no, no, no he's a bunch of just yahoos, to your point, using your word. A bunch of yahoos that just went and kind of got out of hand. The, which I could understand. I understand a little bit both arguments. I agree with you. Do I think this is the same as, or this should not be in the same category as nine eleven? Of course, it shouldn't be in the same category nine eleven. But the magnitude of what we're talking about is a little bit of what we talked about our last episode of the prediction. Right? We've crossed a threshold where transfer of power can no longer be taken for granted. That there will be a peaceful transfer of power. Now, I, just in the same way that if, like, you know, you one of your predictions that you had is Roe v. Roe v. Wade gets overturned. Right when that court is deliberating, if if a bunch of yahoos who are not very organized break into the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and start raiding, and, and court judge needs to run out of the back, like there is no scenario where where that shouldn't be also considered a terrorism attack. Some of that stuff happened even at his at, at Gorsuch's uh, hearings. I, 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 I got you, but, yeah. but but think about the scale of that, right? right? So so for us to sort of look at that and downplay, like, no, no no, just a bunch of just you know numbnuts that don't know anything and they're it. it the once again the part that I and I understand the counter narrative narrative and counter narrative narrative from from liberal leaning guys is make this the worst possible thing and really like beat the hell out of it. Those that are counter narrative, no no no, a bunch of just numbnuts that just got out of hand. But in both cases, you're still talking about the same situation where you had this moment that should be processed like an official process by the government, and and people doing their best to try to stop that process. Right, like that—that's what it comes out to. And from that perspective, I don't know how you don't think of that, at least in some form, maybe disorganized form, of domestic terrorism. Yeah, I have no problem calling it domestic yeah. terrorism whatsoever. So I don't, like I said, I—I I, I didn't see this this video clip. I actually, the part that I did see though was 
uh, Tucker Carlson really holding to task Ted Cruz, which I he always was. appreciate the fact that, you know, again, because a lot of times you'll hear, oh, well, we're never going to have any critical mm-hmm. analysis of these things. If people are on the right, they're going to give everybody a pass. And it seemed like it wasn't happening. And I acknowledge that there, as I would if it was Rachel Maddow holding Bernie Sanders to task on right, something right, in that right. aggressive of a way. So so I, I did like that. Um, one thing I will say in addition to this, there are conservatives that I like a lot and I think are very authentic and genuine, and there are some that don't come across that way to me. Ted Cruz is very smart, and he's very uh, politically shrewd, and he knows the law backwards and forwards. He's a Supreme Court solicitor. He, he even knows maybe PR really, really well. Mm-hmm. But what has never convinced me about Ted Cruz is his authenticity, his genuineness. Mm. I always feel like when he's talking— He's kind of playing to, you know, he's kind of playing things. Now, look, I, I don't mean that because he's a politician. Everyone, every sure, sure, politician sure. But does yeah, this. But, there's, a, but there's, yeah. like, there's like an additional. There's always an agenda to your mind. Yeah. And, and it strikes me as I will be president one day. One day I'll be president. If yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. He's got that. So whatever that goal is, I can always kind of feel it. And, I, and I'm telling you, I don't get that same sense from Ron DeSantis or, or well, maybe a little bit more with DeSantis, but with uh, like Marco Rubio, people like that, where they just seem like they're <laughs> yeah. legitimately just have a different that. philosophy, a different ideology. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's part of what makes. I mean, for those like him, obviously like him, but it's part of what makes him very unlikable by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think for that reason. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing too is is it is so interesting how we've now gone to this this case where you you know we talked about news reporting the news as opposed to news people making the news, and Tucker Carlson is in that category. He's making the news. He's no longer reporting on the news. Oh yeah, for you sure. know, and it's it's just such an interesting dynamic. It's not a healthy one for sure. We yeah. do it from that perspective, I want him right? to go back to his old format, like I've said before. I'm a cringe on this one across the board. Mm-hmm. I, I'd, I'd love for I, – I, I still, though, I think Tucker is one of the sharpest and, frankly, the like the, the guy who's got probably the biggest journalistic potential of a lot of the people out there. I just – I would like to see him go back to his format. Okay. Well, I think we both agree. I was I was cringe on it as well. Um, but yeah, it was that's good to to talk through that. Okay, great. Changing gears. So changing gears. Courage or cringe. Radio host Dave Ramsey insists if his tenants are homeless because he raised rent, it doesn't make him a bad Christian. This one's gonna leave a mark. This is a good this is a good one. It's a really interesting <laughs> topic, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Dave Ramsey Do you listen to him? Do you know him at all? I you... I do know who yeah. he is. Um I've I think I've dabbled on his books before. I've never listened to any of his shows. Yeah. Uh, but um, I know him more from being a personal finance person, right, that's written books more than anything else. Yeah, that's me um, too. I would say even the fact that he's, you know, a Christian or, or how much of a Christian he is, or I never even knew that really, right? Yeah. I know that, don't know that much about, about mm-hmm. him. So Dave Ramsey has mentioned he's a personal finance radio host and outspoken evangelical Christian you know, who got into some controversy recently over his comments that raising rent as a property owner, which he is, doesn't make you a bad Christian, even if people end up homeless as a result, right? Now, to this he said, the ratio of the income that they earn to their housing expense displaced them. Mm. I didn't cause any of that. And so you're not displacing them. You're taking too much credit of what's going on. If they want, if they need to move to a cheaper house because they can't afford, uh, they're going to move to a lesser house because if they move, they're going to pay market rent. Okay, I own rental properties, single-family homes, among many other properties that we own. And if I raise my rent to be market rate, that does not make me a bad Christian. I did not displace the person out of the house if they can no longer afford it. So, of, of course, <laughs> 
Twitter outrage, you know, immediately, right? So, uh, uh, so someone responded to that to that comment saying, "Dave Ramsey is delusional when Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle." Than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. I think he's referring to Dave Ramsey specifically. And by the way, and, mm-hmm. and there was people defending him, right? So there's, mm-hmm. there's those that kind of jumped in, and, and one person I think kind of framed it perfectly, which is from a business financial standpoint, he is not wrong. But from a Christian who's super wealthy standpoint, give to the needy is supposed to be his thinking, yeah. I think, yeah. right? So like that's that's kind of the the the, the, the issue, right? Now. For Ramsey, this is not the first time he has controversy, right? He's had a number of other issues, but one that is somewhat recent is he was sued in December for requiring employees at his company to disregard COVID-19 work-from-home orders and attend in-person gathering of more than 900 workers who were encouraged not to wear masks or maintain social distance. Now, according to the lawsuit, Ramsey is accused of saying that employees at Ramsey Solutions who wanted to work from home instead of coming to the office were guilty of, and I quote, weakness of spirit, right? (laughs) Love that line. So, courage or cringe? Mm. Don't blame me. It's the market. Or good capitalism doesn't make for good Christianity. Oof. I thought it was a great one for you, Charlie, because because yeah. this this is close to your heart, of yeah, course. Absolutely. You know, with uh, with with homelessness and what causes it. But I also understand all the dynamics that we're talking about here. Yeah. We, we think about capitalism well, and um for 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 sure. That's that Christianity. So yeah, please let me give you. Me is, give you I, uh, I want to hear from you a, a lot on this one. I'm gonna say I'll give you my th- first thirty seconds, and then let's riff a little bit. Okay. I'm, cr- I'm cringe, like all capital letters. Um, here's why. The his orientation is. I did not cause this, ergo, it's okay. The Christian life isn't just about being accountable for your brother and sister because you caused something. It's not a transaction. At least it's not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a community. It's supposed to be a relationship. So even things you didn't cause, you're supposed to care about. That's number one. Mm-hmm. That is, to my mind, a theological misunderstanding, or one perhaps, because this this can go far afield, so rein me in, but... There's a certain type of evangelical theology that is very much kind of health and wealth, and it, it's oriented around kind of me and God, mm-hmm. me and Jesus, and that's all that matters, me, my Bible, and God. And the reality of it is, is that's not the fullness of the Christian tradition in the sense that, no, God actually made us into communities, he made us into families, he made us into you know, nations, and there's something there that is important. It's not just about you and God and everybody else is good. So there's, there's, for whatever reason, this orientation of, I didn't do it, therefore it's okay. And that's just not a good starting point, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I don't agree ever, and as a property owner myself, that if you absolutely know you're making somebody homeless, that you just go, oh, well. Like, to me, that's just unconscionable. Mm-hmm. There's a thousand and one ways to mitigate that. There's... Who knows if you're the one who necessarily needs to mitigate it, but there's other ways to mitigate it. And right. it just seemed like a very callous thing. Uh, to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, I hope that as he said it, he kind of heard himself say it and said like, oh, maybe I don't really believe that because it sounds really bad. And it is. Now, having said that and the fact that I'm a cringe and all that, it doesn't mean, does not mean that people don't have their own responsibility to do different things and that they shouldn't do their very best to pull themselves up you know, from their bootstraps sure. and, and do that. In fact, frankly, Scripture says that you know, a person who sh- doesn't work shouldn't eat. I mean, it's crystal clear about your responsibility to provide for yourself and for your family. Mm-hmm. But bottom line is we're a community, we're a family, we're supposed to be in a relationship. It's not just about a transaction. So just because you're not the reason why somebody's like ass out doesn't mean it's cool that you do what you do. 
Right. Um, yeah. I, I, when I first read this and heard him say it, 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 it like, I could see how someone gets that conclusion, but it just it doesn't sit well with me. You know, like that first kind of gut reaction, like that's just kind of a shitty way to think about things, right? It's kind of like the whole thing of, look, they did it to themselves, which I think the reality, a lot of people have that perspective. Forget the, whether or not you're Christian or not. A lot of people just in terms of how they view homeless is like they did it to themselves. And so and to me, this is another version that they did it to themselves, right? It's not you who did it to themselves. That doesn't mean, to your point, that they don't need help. Even even when, you know, I, I, I love using your example when I can't use it. It's like if someone falls in front of you, even if they were walking around with the shoes, with the shoelaces untied, and they knew they were untied, so you knew they were going to fall, say, hey, you may want to tie your shoelaces, and they're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And they fall anyway, doesn't mean you don't pick them up. Right? You say, like, told you. See? That's what happens. Idiot. Like, Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Keep on going, right? It just, it just seems such a bad thing. But, but the other part of me yeah. is, like, I could also understand the argument. I think a lot of it is how you approach it, that as a property owner, you know, what do you do in those situations where someone really is living, you know, beyond their means? Look, I had a direct example of this. Maybe not except for the homeless piece. That wasn't, that wasn't clear to me whether the person would end up homeless. But when I was living in Texas, there was a property that we owned. And, um, you know, we had rented it to this family for probably about a year or so, right? And then all of a sudden, all these problems started to happen, right? Like where they had some kind of domestic issue. When police came. We found out about it. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, you start seeing the signs, right? It went from everything on time, everything great. So all of a sudden, like, oh, we're like five days late payment. on rent. Yeah. And all of a sudden, five days turned like, hey, we got a call. Hey, any any way we can break up and I could just give you, you know, half on the 1st and half on the 15th. And we're like, yeah, no problem. But that just continued to go downhill. And finally, we went to go talk to the guy. And I had a conversation with him. And, and my discussion with him was, was somewhere along the lines of, I'm like, we find out what was happening. He was getting divorced. He had, it had been like a big blowout. Apparently, that situation where police came was kind of like the, the breaking point. The breaking point. He was now there by himself. The family had left. He had some problem. He had some problem with work. All this. Basically, what I told him was like, "Listen, you now are in a situation where this is no longer healthy. This is not healthy for you. This is not healthy for us. We don't want a situation where we're, where we're looking to try to evict you." Like, that's not good. And you don't want a situation where every single month you're sitting there trying to figure out how the hell are you going to pay for rent, right? And it also, at this point, you're in a house that you're by yourself. Like, maybe that changes. Maybe you work it out with your with your ex and your family is all back together. But right now, when that's not the case, this is not the place for you to live. And I was, like, giving the guy, a like, a talk. Yeah, you know what that's called? What? That's called accompaniment. That's called a relationship. That's exactly my point. Yeah, and I had this whole conversation with the guy, and... It ended up working out. He working out in the sense that he decided to move on. We never had to take any kind of action against them. Now, I've also a situation where it did happen where we had to evict someone that literally just stopped responding, didn't like, and there was plenty of of time where like I ate the cost on the mortgage multiple months to the point like, hey, you're no longer responding. Like I don't know what to do, and True. we had to get someone. But that's the worst feeling. Like that time, which is a second situation where we actually had to get someone evicted. And I found out that they take other stuff out and the lady was there with her kids and the guy who was supposed to be the one that we had to like had been gone for a while. Like I felt terrible. I felt like shit just knowing that was the case. Even I know it was her fault. Yeah. It was entirely her fault. Yeah. For just not even communicating with us. Right. I'm I'm besides whatever other issues they had created, but 
It, it was just so yeah. But but to have this kind of like, eh, it's not it's not on me. Like don't feel bad. Like when you go to church, you feel perfectly fine because you're a good Christian. Yeah. It's just the market, and that whole thing is just the market. It's it's very yeah. And I don't want to. I'm know. not going to judge his level, his Christianity. What I'm just telling you objectively is that I don't. It doesn't sound very Christian. Is what right. I'm, saying. I'm just saying objectively, I can see where he nets out based on what I think is a fallacy at the beginning of the argument, which is this idea that if I didn't cause it, therefore it's good. It's, I'm okay with it. Right, right. And that's just not the way that things work. Yeah. My answer to what you said um, about. You know, being in situations like this and what do you do about it, I'd say two things. One is you have to do your best to actually help people, if you're a landlord, a landlord help people understand the requisites and requirements of renting your property. Like, spend a minute. You, we verify income backwards and forwards. In California, it's impossible. And that's so hard to rent someplace out here. I know because I work with, like, the homeless families. The requirements, income verification, they want to talk to your boss. They want to do, like, it's gotten so competitive. Right. But in other markets, it may not be that way. Yeah. Some of that stuff is good. Not as a box to check, but as a moment for you to interact with a human being who's going to be giving you money every month to live where you, where you own. Mm-hmm. Sit down with them and say, hey, I want to just know a little bit about you. You're going to rent this property. Help them prepare, understand, like pre-qualify them to see if they're actually right, – right. part of it is that. The other part of it is what you did, Jesus, which is people run into problems. Like, yeah, it happens, it happens. all the time. It happens, yeah. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. Sure. Like it happens. So you take a minute and you spend some time. If your business is being a landlord, that's going to be really tough to do. Yeah. If I have a hundred properties and I look at it as a business and a transaction, which I'm not saying this guy does, but it seems like he's got a lot of land. Sounds like he has a lot of property. Yeah. So I just that's think much that harder to do. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, that's why I think, like for me personally, that wouldn't be me. That wouldn't be me. I wouldn't have a hundred rental properties. Right, right, right. That I'm not trying to do that. Could I have one or two where I could know the person, try to help them out if something went wrong? Yeah. So. Look, I think on some level it's philosophical, but I mean for me it's pretty clear cut. So I'm a cringe. All right, so we agree. We're we're two for two, Charlie. Awesome. Uh, Don't ruin it. No, we're Don't ruin, ruin it. it. I want to. I'm working on ruining it. I'm, I'm trying to guess what you're going to say. I'm so just going to go the opposite direction. I'm just going to guess whatever you do on the next one because uh, I don't care about tennis. Cringe or cringe? Novak Djokovic allowed to stay in Australia, but could still be deported before Aussie Open. So Djokovic, who's the number one ranked tennis player, has been embroiled in controversy for the last few weeks due to his travel to Australia. And trying to enter the country with an exception while being unvaccinated in order to play in the Australian Open. Okay, right? what is his exempt, exemption? His vaccination. So exemption, exemption is exemption of being able to enter the country as a foreign um, national uh, national uh-huh. uh, without being vaccinated because he he recently uh, tested positive for for COVID in December. Okay, so he feels he's got immunity or whatever. Right, right. Yeah, got it. Okay. Now this is uh, as mentioned. That's the sort of the reason it was controversial, right? Because it began an exception of. And, and Australia has had a very strict policy of only allowing vaccinated people to enter the country. Um, well, he was just let into the country by a judge due to a technicality, and many Australians are just not happy, right? So just to give you the quick, the quick timeline. So last week, Djokovic traveled to Melbourne to compete in the upcoming Australian Open. Mm-hmm. Now, he had to receive the medical exemption from the Tennis Australia and local Melbourne authorities to compete in the tournament without being vaccinated, right? Mm-hmm. As a res- Once again, because of, of him recently getting COVID. But immigration officials required more proof that he actually recently had COVID-19, and they eventually canceled his visa and detained him at the immigration facility. Now, they kept his poor dude there for a, for a while. Um, now, Australian immigration authorities revoked his visa after deciding that the unvaccinated Djokovic didn't qualify for an exemption from Australia's rule that all non-citizens 
be vaccinated in order to enter the country. But right? wait, 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 wait. So he, he didn't qualify because it ended up that it wasn't true that he so had gotten COVID? the Tennis Australia and local Melbourne authorities had yeah. given the, the exemption. Yes. But when he got to immigration, immigration said, like, no, we don't, we don't accept that local uh, exemption because they have, I guess they have higher say there, okay. right? And uh, it said it wasn't enough. They didn't have enough proof of him uh, having, uh, you know, been basically sick, right, with COVID-19. Mm-hmm. But on Monday, Djokovic was released from immigration and allowed to enter the country after Australian Federal, Federal Circuit Court Judge Anthony Kelly overturned his visa cancellation, essentially clearing the way for him to be able to compete at the, at the upcoming Australian Open, right? Now, he was cleared due to a technicality, right? Basically, the Australian government admitted that Australian immigration didn't allow the proper procedure as they didn't give him enough time to him to be able to go confirm with his legal team before they canceled his visa. Wow, this is a so it was one of those like it's nothing to do hornet's with nest. Yeah, big hornet's nest, right? Uh, now there's still a chance here that this visa could still be overturned by the immigration minister for the country, but it just doesn't seem likely at this point. Uh, but the Australian public is not happy about this, right? They basically believe that he's being treated differently because of his celebrity status, right? So two new things from this, right? So one is on his application for the exemption. Djokovic has stated that he had not traveled in the two weeks leading up to the arrival of Australia, um, where now it turns out that he had gone to Spain, which he admitted in an Instagram post on Tuesday night, uh, but basically blamed it on his agent that he had filled out the form incorrectly. Right? So he did go to Spain before mm-hmm. those two weeks. And then second, which was hilarious, if you haven't seen this video, you should, was there was a reaction by local news reporters right, who were filmed off air. It basically is like one of these shows, morning shows or something, and they're they're – they're getting ready. You know they're not live, but they don't. They don't know they're. Live. They don't know they're live, yeah. but they, they're they're being recorded, uh-huh. and that gets you know leaked, of which they're talking all kinds of smack about it, right? Calling him a lying, sneaky, you know, a hole who's probably going to get away with it, and it was like it was such a great, wow. honest conversation between these two people. That of course that they're pissed because they got it, it all got leaked. The right? only time I've ever I don't know anything about this. I don't follow tennis. Yeah. I, I think it's a remarkably boring sport. Sorry for tennis lovers out there. I don't know anything I about this. I disagree with you wholeheartedly. But on that, by the way, it's as it's as boring as I'm baseball. I'm cringe on your comment of tennis being boring. It's as boring as baseball in the sense that it's fun to play but not fun to watch. Um, but what I do remember about about uh, Djokovic, 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 uh-huh. whatever. You, I'm is sure what, whatever way you're saying is probably better than whatever I will say. It's is so. seeing a video of him having a you know John McEnroe esque meltdown on this court. Like I mean, oh really? Th- yeah, some. Meltdown I actually don't know that much about him, other than that he's very good. But. He had some. I'm sure he is, but he had some meltdown, and he treated everybody like just total garbage in this video. And I was like, what a jackass! Like I mean, maybe that is a reputation. I mean, look, it, it, hearing, I don't know anything about hearing him. these reporters talk about him. Yeah, <laughs> there is definitely some feelings here. At the but, same uh, time, the level of bureaucracy oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. absurdity of these things where it's like, I, I can't bring myself to say uh, courage on, well, wait a minute, hang on, let me back up. I don't want to give courage to, the, to Australia either. Right. What's, what is the courage or cringe? So ki- <laughs> courage or cringe, failure of due process allows star athlete to skirt the laws uh-huh. or another example of rules not applying to the rich and famous. Okay. So the, is the courage or cringe is basically them allowing them to go them into the country on this technicality? Yeah, I'm going to go cringe then too because I, at the end of the day, I put more blame on the government than I do on this guy for whatever reason. Whether you agree he should be in there or shouldn't be right. in there, it doesn't matter. The whole thing is a fracas and a disaster, yeah. Yeah. and it's like get your act together. So I, I, I'm a cringe. I think the whole thing is absurd. It, it, it's, it is really interesting 
when you think about the situation that not just the government is in, but that the um, uh, that the the tennis federation is in. When when you start thinking about your biggest star, right, is someone that doesn't want to. And apparently, he's been fairly vocal vocal about doesn't want to get vaccinated. And you know, especially because you're talking about competing in multiple countries. Some countries have very different laws, very strict laws. Yeah. In this case, like in the case of mm-hmm. Australia, what do you do? Right. What do you do? Not like you have to figure out a way to allow for your star athletes to compete. I mean, yeah. it, it kind of reminded me, and it's like a total rumor thing that I just saw an interview about it that apparently was all just BS. But people were starting to say that uh, that uh, Aaron Rodgers was apparently planning to, if he gets there, to boycott the Super Bowl. Because at that point, because it's been long enough since he had tested positive for um, – uh, for for COVID. Uh, for COVID, that he would have to have you know get tested again, etc., in order to be able to compete in in, in the game, which is actually going to be here in LA. Right? I really hope the Packers don't so, make it in, but they so, might. Uh, they might he one he, just, he just talked about it um, in the Pat McAfee show. This is all BS. Da, da, da. Yeah, but but it is it does put you in this really because I'm with you in this. The whole thing is just cringe. The entire thing is cringe. It's just a mess. And in this case, I do blame the government more than him. Right, because you can think about also as an athlete, like, hey, you knew my situation before I got here. You gave me the green light to be able to come here, mm-hmm. and then you changed your mind once I was here, mm-hmm. and then had me stuck in the in, you know in immigration for like two days, or whatever. Like, it's hard to blame him, even if he's a complete ass. Like, yeah. I can't really put that on him. Yeah, they shouldn't have allowed him to give him the exception to begin with, if there was going to be going to be an issue. But it does bring up this bigger issue as it relates to star athletes, especially with something like COVID. What do you do there? Because without the star athletes, especially in a sport like tennis where it there is no team it is about the athlete that's it yeah it is the, that's so the you whole take, team is one guy you take that guy out of, the, out of the equation then what i think you just take your lumps i don't know i don't know what else what else there is also you know when i went to africa for the first time i had to take uh what was it a malaria or yellow fever something yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that mm-hmm. so it was like a series of shots that i had to take yep. yeah i had the same situation and my thought there which you know is kind of the the difference between maybe morale morals and ethics is that that country, for whatever reason, had legislation or guidelines that required me to do something in order to get there. And if I didn't want to take those, I didn't have to come. Right. I view that very differently because that country doesn't have the kind of background uh, value system, et cetera, that we have here. So I view that different, that requirement. If that requirement were to be placed on people here, which is why I'm against vaccine sure. mandates, I would view them you know, differently. So there's this, there's this additional dynamic that you're talking about a citizen of one nation traveling to another nation right, right, right. and having to abide by certain things that that nation requires based on their view of how to deal with their population. And there are some instances where there can be some immoral things that you just can't agree with no matter what. But in most cases, they're going to be in the, in the category of ethics. They're going to be in the category of just like, doesn't rise to that level, right? And I think right. that my perspective is I would do those things, but I may view them differently if they were applied here in the United States. I don't know if that sure. makes sense. Yeah, what it I'm does make, is, that makes a lot of sense, yeah. right? Because we do have a different value system. Uh, frankly, I think that's the mistake when people take an American values and try to apply them to other people, like if that, like if that's the way that they want to govern themselves. Even this whole idea we talked about before about the idea that many times the U.S. has in trying to spread democracy or our version of democracy, that doesn't mean that everyone wants that same version of democracy. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it really is, you know, you also, you also have to give value to what those what the people there believe. Like I was telling you, and I was joking about, half joking about, when I was giving, telling my experience of just being in Mexico, right, Mexico City, right? Everywhere you walked in, 
hand sanitizer, check your temperature, put on your mask. There was no conversation of like, what are your personal rights that you believe whether mask works or not? Or like, get the fuck out of here. Like, yeah, you're just doing it. You're this. just doing it. There, and, and it was not a big deal. Everyone's just doing it. Because the expectation isn't necessarily they, there. Right, right. And it's right. different because if you then you take that same kind of approach here, people may right. have a different point of view, but, but it's but, a different. But here's the important, dis- uh, not, it's not even a distinction, but here's the important recognition is uh-huh. that there are things that fall into the realm of morality that can never be, this is my opinion, um, supported or acknowledged. An example. A country decides that they don't want to allow anyone who isn't Anglo to travel there or anyone who isn't black to travel there. Like whether or not your value system is what it is, I believe in the human dignity and the the dignity of human people. And that applies universally. I'm not going to go there. I I can't support that. Yeah. And I think as an athlete, then you should choose not to go there. It then becomes a question of like, how do you put pressure on those on these um, these commissions or these sports leagues? To put pressure in those local governments to change those laws in order to be able to compete, like you see, I mean, the the biggest, the best example is China. We have a lot of issues there, right? And, and China, nobody can come into at all. Period. Right now, zero, like zero and, tourism, and, and none. Right now, the the if there's anyone that gets flack, it's of course the NBA for how little they do, and actually taking moral stands when they're so quick to take moral stands on issues here. Right. But somehow, kind of like just kind of forget the fact far that they're enough away, and there's enough dollars involved. Right. So there's can't. a lot of controversy there. But so I agree with you. I'm not, I think saying that. <clears throat> Of course, it depends on what the rules are, but I do – I can understand the perspective that knowing what the rules are in that country, I may not fully agree with it, but I also know what they are and therefore should either adhere to them or just not go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they don't rise to the level of you know something that is essentially cor- essentially good or evil. It's right, not, right. In this case, yeah, yeah. Getting a yellow fever vaccine is not essentially good or evil. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. kind of a values neutral thing. I don't agree that you should enforce it, but that's not my role because I'm yeah, not you know, the president some, of Namibia. You know so, what I mean? So when we first went to um, uh, to Kenya, right, uh, my parents went there. And at the time, I was still living in Dallas. I was married and I was living in Dallas. And my parents were here in L.A. And um, to your point, like you get like a list of vaccines that you have to take, Right. And there was like three or four that were required and like 15 that were optional, right? So, of course, me, I'm like, just the required. Like, what, what is the bare minimum that I need to show up? Oh, just three things. Perfect, right? And then I, I don't coordinate my parents. I talked to them, but they're like all beat up. I'm like, what happened? They gave them like 20 shots. I'm like, well, why did you take all of them? wanted to be sure. They wanted they're to like, be sure. We didn't understand it was optional. I was like, oh, man, they thought they, were being, they They wanted an A+. plus. They thought they were being graded on it. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to get a straight A. So they got, yeah, they got destroyed. That's hysterical. Uh, the, yeah. Beautiful. So. Are we three for three then? We're, we're three for three. Nice. We, we're This is not a good start to the year. I'm not feeling good about this. It is, we're have it to, is a year of complete alignment and agreement. We will do Danger. better. <laughs> listeners, we will do better. <laughs> we will be better to disagree <laughs> moving forward. But for, still okay. for some different, from some nuanced some reasons. differences, yeah. Some differences, but still. Works for me, Jesus. Any parting words, my friend? Uh, no parting words. 2022, uh, getting kicked off in yes. uh, amazing fashion. Uh, January 12th, right? New show coming next week. I forget when our guests are coming on, but whatever. We'll get better about that as well. But we're working on getting more uh, voices, not just our own, on this show. And so we'll surprise you with some of those coming up. Uh, nothing else? Nothing else. All right. Then we'll see you again next time on TDR. Bye.
If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.